spent months interviewing dozens of nonprofit executives, and everybody's two biggest problems were fundraising and finding qualified staff. I created the Fundraising Accelerator for you. If you are an accidental fundraiser, like most nonprofit executives, you're probably learning on the job. Wouldn't it be nice for you to shortcut years of trial and error and start to get big, unrestricted gifts from individuals in sooner? Or maybe you're an executive director looking for a development director and not finding anyone who's qualified enough. I can help you train up your talent to help them start getting money in the door now. If this sounds like something I can help you with, check out my fundraising accelerator program at riawong.com. Applications are open now through February 17th. Spots are limited to 20, so apply today. Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, I'm joined by two very special guests. We are talking today with Susie Epstein, who is the Managing Director of Field Building at Robinhood, and Kim DiPaolo, who is the Chief Development Officer at Drive Change. And we are talking about Robinhood's GRIT program today. So this is specifically for all of the New York nonprofits and learning about how the GRIT program can be a support to you. So Susie, Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So Susie, I know we've had you on before, but for those of us who have yet to get to know you, can you give us a little bit of a background about yourself and this program that you're running? And then Kim will ask you the same. Great. Thank, first of all, thank you for having me a second time. Second, I'm a longtime staffer at Robinhood. I've actually been there for 30 years. I'm an attorney by training. My background has been in areas like criminal justice, housing, mental health, domestic violence. I became very interested in not-for-profit management early in my career as a lawyer. And as the CEO of Sanctuary for Families encountered Robin Hood in its infancy and sent them a grant proposal and got some funding. And then several years later was the 10th person to join their staff. I've assumed a number of roles there. My favorite actually is what I've been doing in the last couple of years, which is basically coaching emerging not-for-profits to get philanthropic support. And you oversee the GRIT program. Can you give us a brief overview of what that is? And then Kim, um, I'd love to talk so to you about your experience. GRIT stands for Grant Readiness Insights and Training. It's a series of workshops that cover everything from program design and learning and measurement and presenting fiscals and budgets and costs, presenting results, presenting good governance and how your board functions, to doing grant writing and cultivating individual donors. So we've organized a syllabus for emerging and early middle stage not-for-profits go through these trainings to help them actually secure corporate foundation and individual. Yeah, we are in our eighth year of running the program. We have had about 80 to 85 different not-for-profits in it, and we've seen really good results from it to date. I love that. Kim, let's jump over to you. So I love your story. It's a little bit of a non-traditional journey into nonprofit. So if you could just give us a sense of your journey here and then a little bit about your experience in GRIT, because I know you are a, an alum of the program. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ria. And excited to be here with you and Susie. So my background, I've been at Drive Change for four years. I'm the chief development officer newly. I was previously for four years, the chief operating officer. Prior to being at Drive Change, I actually spent 22 years in hospitality. I am spent my whole career in restaurants. I was a kid who dropped out of college and started waiting tables in order to support myself and feel very fortunate through my career to have had many incredible leaders who not only promoted me, but really invested in my learning. The longest part of my career was at Gramercy Tavern, where I started as a server. And my last role there was as the general manager running a very large budget, all because I had people who were willing to teach me how to run a PL and a large budget, and then eventually made it to recruiting at Union Square Hospitality Group. So I was managing the recruiting for all 20 businesses and was working with our leaders just about the way we think about hiring and investing in, in talent and was working with Drive Change and Emma's Torch and Hot Bread Kitchen. So really thinking about workforce development and some non-traditional pathways into the restaurant industry. So when the CEO role came up at Drive Change, I just thought it was a great opportunity, really wanted to get into mission-driven work and just love the work that was being done at Drive Change. So it's what really inspired me to make the move, even though I was like, oh my God, do I know what I'm doing? <laughs> and then the most interesting part of the last couple of years for me was we had a founder CEO transition and our founder used to do all of the fundraising. And so I was, it, there was this kind of like accidental move into development, but for me, I really love it. I think it's just like hospitality in many ways. I think it's about relationships and understanding people. And so I really enjoy it. Kalila, our new executive director and myself just went through the GRIT program, which was a great opportunity just for us to do workshops that are really deep dives into a lot of the parts that I've heard you say, Ria, it's like you, you need someone to help you learn these pieces. I've heard other people say they don't teach development in college. That's not a course you get to take. Having the opportunity to go through the program and really spend time. And like, we've done a lot of the one-on-one -on -one work to just dive a little deeper into our specific needs, which has been really cool. I love that so much. And actually, it's funny you mentioned it because Danny Meyer is someone that I really look to as far as the philosophy behind how I think about fundraising, which is exactly right. How do you connect with people? How do you make people feel special? How do you make them feel a part of something? We'll talk about that a bit more. Susie, back to you. Right now, you are recruiting for the GRIP program. So can you give us a sense of who would be the ideal person to apply for GRIT and what kind, what stage might they be in that would most benefit from the GRIT program? I'm going to answer it by substituting organization for person because the cohort is filled with very diverse leaders with different levels of experience and different backgrounds in terms of missions they've been involved with or expertises that they have. What we're looking for is organizations whose budgets are between one and $20 million who have limited private support. So a $10 million agency that gets half of its funding from foundations, $5 million from different philanthropies, wouldn't be the optimal candidate. We're looking for organizations whose Budgets are maybe only 20% from philanthropic or individual donors. And the reason for that is, is because that is such an inflection point and such a place where there's clear need to diversify 
revenue streams. No matter what your total resources are, that kind of proportion is a place where if you want to be resilient and you want to start new programs and services that may not be underwritten by the public sector, you want to be able to bring in private money to do that. And can you just give us a sense tactically, what is the application process? What's the due application due date and so forth? Absolutely. So our next cycle of GRID starts on May 2nd. The GRID application is on Robinhood's website now. The due date is March 15th. The application is fairly simple, takes maybe two hours to complete. We ask for a couple of attachments that include a board list and your audit and budget, but it's a number of questions on an organization's strengths and weaknesses and what they would like to address. We interview every group that applies because we do, this is a very bespoke, hands-on relationship. We do talk to the groups. We'll make decisions in mid-April so that organizations can configure their calendars so that they can attend the GRID program. It will meet twice a week throughout May from May 2nd to June 1st. The sessions are mornings on Tuesdays and Thursdays. They're hybrid. We're going to have half of them in person and half of them remote. We also offer individual office hours with the presenters in each workshop. And myself and another Robin Hood senior staffer are available to meet with groups and to coach them actually in perpetuity so that it's a serious long-term relationship if you'd like that. I like long-term relationships. So Kim, having successfully completed the GRIT program, can you speak to how you feel like it's helped drive change? Yeah, absolutely. The I definitely think the workshops are incredible, especially they're focused in a lot of the areas that we just knew we we needed and wanted support. So everything from individual fundraising to board governance to understanding how to get your metrics and actually present them in a way that is meaningful. But I think for us, it was especially like those one-on-one. So it's great when you're going into a workshop and there's opportunity to ask questions, but like for us to then do the office hours and take what we learned and actually apply it and ask questions that were very specific to drive change, I think was what was really helpful for us to be able to say, can you look at this grant that we've written and tell us like what maybe needs some tweaking or what is a way to open a grant that actually can have a greater impact and understanding like the individual giving, what does it look like to actually cultivate a relationship and what should that look like? Cause like you said, a lot of people who, you know, like myself, who've never done this before, you're figuring it out. And if you don't have any guidance, right. Someone saying like, how many times should you reach out to an individual donor? What is the right way to do it? What does this look like? How do you make an ask and not feel like, ah, (laughs) So those have been, I think those have been the really impactful parts for us. Even looking at how our budget is written is has been really amazing too. And what's the appropriate way to present it in a grant? Yeah, that's really helpful because I say this a lot, which is how I started my business, which is we have so many accidental fundraisers out there, right? People who have been put in these very important positions, working on some of the most important issues in society without any training. It's mind blowing. So it's great that... Right, is out here doing that. Susie, can I switch back to you? I know Robinhood, I know that you as an organization are incredibly data-driven. Can you give me a sense of what kind of metrics and outcomes you've seen from the GRIP program? Yes. And I'm going to say that those outcomes have been both 
I'm going to call them quantitative and qualitative. Knows Robinhood has taken a strong stand on evaluation. A program like GRIT is harder to evaluate, especially in the short term, because raising money can be dramatically quick, especially in crises, post-Hurricane Sandy, post-pandemic, post-September. On the other hand, cultivating donors can be glacially slow. But we did do a five-year survey after, our, after the fifth year of GRIT in which we participants to date on new money that they had raised and the number of new foundations and total philanthropic support they had raised. And we're thrilled to learn that of the 50 or so groups in the first five years, they raised a total of $12 million. It averaged about 400000 per group. There was a huge, great, huge range where several groups maybe got five or six new supporters, but a total $50,000. And several got one or two new sources of support, but they were close to seven figures. So no particular patterns, but a nice amount of money. That's on the quantitative side. Qualitatively, we saw a lot of progress across many groups on governance issues, reconfiguring their boards, doing board report cards on activism and fundraising and meeting attendance and sharing committees. A lot of groups thought about fundraising efficacy and reconfiguring their offices. Maybe they needed another grant writer. Maybe they needed fewer grant writers because things were not so productive. Groups that thought about their, their fiscal offices, many of them actually moved from having a bookkeeper to a controller or a CFO. That was a huge thing in terms of budget sizes. There were groups that thought much more carefully and strategically about evaluation, thought about cost per outcome, thought about price points of different elements of the program, thought about proportion of management in general overhead to program. So there were, you could see a lot of the learning and a lot of the applications of lessons from GRIT being implemented. That was hugely gratifying. And I would say probably two thirds of the cohort made enormous strides in several different management arenas. That's really helpful. Kim, I'm wondering if, could you speak to any specific changes that you made at Drive Change as a result of the GRIT program? Yeah, absolutely. I'll speak, especially for myself moving into development. I think the biggest part was looking at what systems didn't exist because especially on our individual donors and even thinking about like when I'm writing grants that having a really good solid like grant that you can pull from that you're not rewriting every single time is like something that if someone never tells you that it's you're doing it over and over again but for us it's like building fundraising plans rather than just it being very like it, we never really tracked any of it and it hasn't the system hasn't existed so we've taken those pieces we also for me the budget one was incredible i think khalil and i both were like wow just the way that budgets were laid out and really breaking out our programs so that we could see because we run three really different but all tied together in some way right they're all centered around food but they have our fellowship is very different from our food distribution and different from our hospitality for social justice. And so looking at like, how do we actually break those out? So it's really clear to a funder, to anyone who would want to look at our budget, where and how money is being spent. So I think that 
that was one that was really helpful for us. And I know we're looking at building our board. So board governance and report cards like Susie's talking about, like those are all pieces that we're putting into play right now, which has been exciting. Kalila's in her first year, her first just completed her first year as an executive director, a new executive director. So I know there's so much learning that's being done. And again, like I'm in a new role. So it helped us take pieces and be like, okay, we're going to use this and we're going to go with that. So I'm just going to underscore something that you're saying, Kim, if I could, since I joined yeah. in a in one of the meetings, which we talked about fiscals and costs, and it was incredibly gratifying when something clicked about cost per person, where we said, okay, this is what you spend on your program. And you have 80 people in the program or 40 people in the program. We're going to do the math. Now we're going to say what part of that cost is stipends, what part of that cost is training, what part of that cost is overhead. And I think those Eurekas that organizations encounter is something that is very important for them, very meaningful to us when, you know, it, it all comes together. And actually, we'll, I think we'll move a lot of not-for-profits light years ahead of where they were in terms of raising money. When you can say that to a funder, they automatically can do less due diligence and actually feel more confidence in the management savvy of an applicant. And I imagine too that going through the grid program is a good housekeeping seal of approval, given the fact that Robinhood is just such a major player in the philanthropic space in New York City. Susie, I'm wondering if we could zoom out a little bit. I'm curious from your standpoint at Robinhood, I think when we last spoke, we can't remember, were we at the beginning of the pandemic? I can't right, remember. the pandemic, yeah. yeah. It was about so, three and a half years ago. Yeah. Since we've spoken, the world has changed dramatically. We've had a global pandemic. We've had a racial reckoning post-George Floyd. We've seen inflation. We've seen pulling back the crypto markets. So I'm curious from your standpoint, what do you think has changed since we've last spoken from a philanthropic funding perspective? And then what do you see moving forward? Wow. Okay. So changes that I've seen post-pandemic in terms of philanthropy, I think are number one, more thoughtful commitments to community building and probably to combating racism. We certainly see more allocations towards initiatives that on some level combat racism, whether that's education reform or criminal justice reform or housing, banking reform, financial literacy, stuff like that. I also see fewer strings attached to grants, fewer report requirements, an interest in inputs as well as outputs, which is something we certainly moved away from over the last several decades. But now, because many grants are oriented more towards survival and are relief-oriented, you're looking at inputs and efforts as well as more than a particular deliverable or impact. I see more cash grants to individuals because relief and, and survival are so critical. And I probably see as part and parcel of evaluation and measurement is about learnings so that adjustments and diagnostics can be made in terms of program design or cash allocations, but not so much evaluation in uppercase letters 
So I'd say those are probably the three or four things that I've most seen. Just a follow-up okay. question here, because I, I think from my perspective, I've seen a lot of conversations around, yes, double-clicking on everything that you said, but and also sort of the sense of trust-based philanthropy and a more intentional focus on BIPOC leaders and Black-led organizations. Is that is that an area that Robinhood is also focused on? Yes. Hood a few years ago launched a power fund for leaders of color. We've always been very mindful of community leaders and spent a lot of time in our due diligence looking at staffs and leadership as well as an organization's model and evaluation. Certainly one of the things that we saw that was that there was not diversity of leaders across our portfolio. And we are looking and very hard at penetrating communities throughout the five boroughs and to looking at atypical indigenous who may not have several graduate degrees or who may not have decades of experience as CEOs, but nonetheless have founded or have joined organizations that are the lifeblood and heartbeat in their communities. And we are spending a great more time and resource on those leaders. It is also one of the reasons that we did launch GRIT in terms of trying to impart some of the more technical management pieces of information to those groups in both an individual and cohort kind of style so that they could compete perhaps with more savvy and experienced leaders who had access to to where the power and the money are in terms of corporate and long-term philanthropies. Thanks for that. Kim, question for you. Anecdotally, what I've been hearing from a lot of my colleagues in the space is that this last quarter, they saw a little bit of a pullback in terms of private philanthropy and specifically individuals. I think that there's this sense of, oh, the pandemic's over. And I think that last quarter we saw some turbulence in the economy. Just wondering, what are you seeing as trends in the last year from your own fundraising? Yeah, I definitely think we see these like, of course, as things change in the world, people's decisions change. And we've looked at like even our individual donors in 2020, there was a huge spike, right? And then not as much right after that. And so trying to think about how do we make sure I also to speak a little to what Susie was saying, like, I appreciate one of the things, just the way that I think philanthropy has made some changes, right? Post pandemic, where it is, like you were saying, trust based where there is this, I think there are funders who are moving to multi year grants rather than one time, and then that's fewer like reports, the reports have changed too. I think they're really interesting, like some questions that are being asked more around leadership and the board demographics of what that looks like. And also just like, for me, one of the things that I'm seeing more that I appreciate is just transparency from the get go of where there's alignment or what the relationship's going to look like. Cause I, I do think that's something that's really helpful for us. Like when I meet when a, with a funder and they tell me right away, this is going to be a five-year relationship. It's nice to know that right away. Cause we know what we're getting into. And I think that's probably the truth for anyone, right? You like to know what you're, what, it's like when someone tells you they're not looking for a long-term relationship. <laughs> the same, like, at least, you know, what you're getting into, right? If you're looking to get married, but I'm not, maybe we don't belong together. Oh, I yeah. love a dating analogy. Yeah, I just, I think that, and for me, again, like being new, I'm trying to under, 
it's always about understanding relationships, like what people hope. And I think it's about what people need, right? Like you have to understand what a person is looking for, even when they're giving like it, because people don't have to give. So what does it look like to really tap into what moves their heart is what's important, I think. So figuring out what that looks like, even in bad times, because I think, again, 2020 was a terrible time, but I think it motivated people to do more. Yeah, it's interesting how crisis brings out the best in people. So Susie, to follow up on the question that that we were starting down the path of, what do you see as the future of philanthropy? Any trends that you could spot for us that our audience might find relevant? I think there's even more cognizance of the power of private resources. Private resources have a huge positive benefit, in the, I think, in the world of service provision and philanthropy. And I think that the more there, there is awareness of that, the more there's motivation to give. I think that private philanthropy can help underwrite pilots and new ideas that are small, that government may not yet have an interest in because it's not scaling and touching the lives of thousands of people. I think that can be very sexy to foundations and individual contributors alike. And I think that the more that is in the zeitgeist, the better that is. And that's something that seems to be more revealed. So that's one thing. I think there's changing ways to give and the range from crowdsourcing to social media giving is very powerful and very positive. I also think, and this is the paradox, that there's increased trust-based philanthropy and most people are honest and frank and cost-efficient in the ways that they allocate money, but there's also corruption and misuse of funds. And I think that the balance between accountability and scrutiny of both the ways to raise money and the ways to invest money are probably going to emerge on the zeitgeist. I think the targets rotate all the time. I've been in the not-for-profit world for almost 50 years. Everything old is new again. But I do think that there's often donor fatigue on different issues. And being at Robinhood for a long time, I actually think there's some fatigue around poverty fighting. And so you have to think about ways to present issues as old wine in a new flask, so that issues maybe of criminal justice or housing or mental health are now about systemic barriers and social and racial injustice. So I do think that probably wordsmithing is going to be, I love words, but I do think that's going to be a huge issue in the future. I think that donors are very interested in the future of the world and the future for their children. So I think there, there's much more giving towards environmental justice and green initiatives than I had seen several decades ago. And I do think people are also interested in things that influence their own happiness and well-being and future. And we hear a lot of donors give us feedback about their interests in their own alma maters or the illness that touches their family or their joy in dance or music. And I think that those of us doing social services have to think about ways to pitch those particular themes against things that might be more about beauty and happiness, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, that's such an interesting point. But yeah, I think, Kim, to your earlier point, ultimately, 
everyone has a story and everyone has something that they want in the world. And we all think of ourselves as the heroes of our own movies. And so the question is, how do we position ourselves as the vessel through which, the guide through which we can help facilitate our donor stories about who they are and what they want in the world? Ladies, this has been so fun. Susie, where can, so folks can go on the website to apply, and this is only for New York-based nonprofits, correct? Correct. And is there a particular issue area that is folks should be um, coming from? We are not limiting missions in this round of grit. Usually we say groups that only serve families and children or are only, but this cohort is for groups whose budgets are between one in 20 million. One way or another, here's what we learned. Everybody's serving individuals and families. And so we have not put a limit on who the clients are or what the particular intervention is. Thank you for asking that. Very good. And if folks have questions about GRID, is there a way to get in touch with you or someone at Robinhood to ask any further questions? Are you hosting information sessions? The GRID application has info at Robinhood. We are forwarded particular requests. We will Perfect. call prospective applicants or write them back with to answer their queries. There are two of us on this almost full time for the next four months. We're actually also running two GRIT sessions this year in the spring and in the that if we have a huge class of applicants they and can't fit them all in the spring, we will offer them an opportunity post-August to be in the next cycle. Very good. And just so that we have an idea, how big is the cohort and how many applications are you getting per spot? Cohort will be 12 to 15 organizations. Uh, the last several cycles during COVID, we had probably about 50 applicants. So one out of three. I'm going to say this. We don't necessarily take the strongest applicant. The strongest applicants are organizations that we think will benefit the most. So when people say, why didn't get, I get in? My budget is so important. I have fabulous staff. And my evaluation is so excellent. My systems are at, that's, you're not getting into grit. You don't need it. Oh, We're looking at groups that really can optimize workshops. We will make sure to put the information in the show notes. So New York-based nonprofits between one and 20 million, which is <laughs> probably everyone almost. But Check 20%, it out. Only 20% private funding. Oh, yes. And only 20% private funding. So those are the parameters. If that is you, check it out. We'll include the information in the show notes. But until then, Susie, Kim, thank you so much for joining. This is a lot of fun. Thank, thank you. you. I agree. <laughs> and thank you for doing this for the nonprofits in New York City. It's a place I've come to call home and I love it and never bet against New York City. Never. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Hi, if you're a fan of Nonprofit Lowdown, you might be interested in my weekly free newsletter where I send out weekly inspiration for fundraising, notices about any upcoming events that I'm doing, and a cute dog picture. So check it out at RiaWong.com, R-H-E-A-W-O-N-G.com.